Our reading this morning is taken from John chapter 14, verses 15 to 26. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in, the, in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my command and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to speak today about the topic, how to be holy. How to be holy. It's such an exciting time. Lots of people coming to faith. Lots of people wanting to be discipled. Lots of people feeling filled with the Holy Spirit in a new way to make a difference in our workplaces, our homes, our communities, where God has called us to be. And it's so important as these things are happening that we look at who the Holy Spirit is. Why do we talk about the Holy Spirit? Why do we pray at the end of our services, come Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit bring? What, what is important to the Holy Spirit? What difference does the Holy Spirit make in our lives? Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And I say who is the Holy Spirit because Jesus here describes the Holy Spirit as whom the Father will send in my name. When he comes, when the advocate, the helper comes. You see, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. The Holy Spirit will change the way you feel. But the Holy Spirit is a person, not just a feeling. The Holy Spirit blows where he wills and rests on people. But he's a person, not just a force. The Holy Spirit will strengthen you and help you and guide you. But he's a person, not just a holy sat-nav. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, you can speak to him and listen to him and get to know him. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, he can be 
followed or resisted. He can be welcomed or excluded. The Holy Spirit can be honoured or grieved. It says in Scripture that no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is present, we know that Jesus will be exalted. People will fall in love with who Jesus is. We're told that the Holy Spirit testifies to our hearts that we're children of God. So when the Holy Spirit is present, people will feel secure in their true identity as much-loved daughters and sons of God. We're told that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord. So when the Holy Spirit is present, anything is possible. So what will it look like to be filled with, to encounter afresh the Holy Spirit? How might we be holy? Well, the first thing we see here is that the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, as the Holy Spirit. You know when Jesus describes it as that? That's because it's true. And so the holiness and the Holy Spirit are deeply connected. The Holy Spirit is holy because God is holy. He's glorious. He's beautiful. He's utterly distinct. He's completely worthy of all praise and adoration. And the Holy Spirit brings holiness to us. As we're shaped by the Holy Spirit, as we're led by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit empowers us, enables us, transforms us to become holy. And in my experience, when God wants to do something significant in your life, in your community, through your family, through your relationships, he first challenges you in the area of holiness. When God wants to do something significant in a church or a city, he first challenges people in the area of holiness. Almost every major revival in the history of the Christian church has been preceded by a fresh hunger for and passion for holiness. And holiness is slightly out of fashion these days. You don't hear much talk about it. It's almost as if the world doesn't understand it, and maybe sometimes we don't quite Understand it. It seems a bit repressive. Like, why limit yourself in any way? Life is short. Be happy, have fun, follow your desires. Why would you contain your desires in any way? Why would you deny yourself anything? It seems a bit old school. Why build habits that help you draw closer to God? Why make sacrifices that are costly for your life? It seems a bit odd. And yet when the world sees a truly holy life, it is a life of integrity and goodness and compassion and beauty. It is captivated by it. It's almost like it's confounded by the idea of holiness, but when it sees it in the flesh, it's captivated by it. Blaise Pascal said, the serene beauty of a holy life is the most powerful influence in the world next to the power of God. But what about a holy life that's powered by the power of God? Just think what could be possible then. The danger is, though, that sometimes even within the church, we think of holiness as just being a bit dull, just a bit boring, that holiness just means being a bit nicer, being a bit more moral, playing by the rules. And it can sound a little bit miserable, a bit boring. Now, holiness is about being obedient. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Anyone who loves me obeys my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. There's something about obedience which is really important, really significant in terms of holiness, living in a way that pleases God. But if we start there, we might miss something. 
When Beth and I started going out, I was invited on the annual family holiday to Tembe in South Wales. Very exciting. Beth has four brothers. She's a rose amongst thorns. And um, her, it's like, you know, when you're kind of a young guy and you're, you've got four brothers to impress, you want to you, you appear like you're kind of together, like nothing phases you, you're not easily scared of anything. And um, we, always go, we used to go by the beach. And this summer, they had a banana boat ride that was going up and down the beach, a speedboat pulling an enormous inflatable banana behind it at very high speeds. And people just kind of hang on for dear life as they were kind of buffeting through the ocean. And we were like, that looks really fun. Let's go on that. So I was like, yes, let's go on that. And, uh, and so we all went on. And it was our best dad and best four brothers, Beth and myself. And we kind of are clinging to this uh, banana boat. And then the guy says, how fast do you want to go? And of course, I said, fast, really fast. We all want to go fast. Everyone's like, yeah, we want to go really fast. And he said, but I mean, how fast? And we were like, as fast as you can go. <laughs> and he said, okay, well, make sure you hang on. And let me tell you, it's quite hard to hang on to a wet, giant, inflatable banana. But we were like, okay, well, hang on. And then he said, oh, and one more thing, if we're going that fast, whatever you do, make sure you don't put your feet in the water be very bad if you do that. But like, okay, we wouldn't put our feet in the water. Anyway, he accelerated, started burning away, then it started bouncing, traveling really fast through the sea. And we're kind of clinging. I was like, this is quite fast. And then it was like speeding up, speeding up. And you know that kind of thing where that face you make when you um, feel like you're close to death, but you don't want anyone to know that you're scared. So, <laughs> and you're kind of, I was doing that a little bit, holding on, thinking, right, I'm just the right side of terror, just the right side of terror. Best youngest brother, Nathan, was just about hanging on with one arm, going, help. And, uh, and then, and then, at that moment, just as we were going as fast as you possibly can, best other brother Jack thought, let's test the theory. And so he put out his foot like this, put it outside, and then dipped it into the sea. And it was like we'd been hit by a torpedo. The whole banana flipped 360 degrees in the air, and we all went crashing into the water about 30 miles an hour. I remember thinking, am I dead? Like, just being so confused, upside down in the water. And we eventually staggered to shore. Best dad had, I think, three cracked ribs. Um, two of the brothers had concussion, and um, we kind of, like, just, it was like, you know, the, the Dunkirk, you know, we're just kind of dragging ourselves up the beach. And uh, it turned out that, um, and there was various recriminations that followed for Jack. And... <laughs> But it turned out, you know, there was a good reason for the rule. It wasn't, it wasn't an arbitrary, oh, I want to stop them having fun, so I'll tell them not to put their feet in the water. He wasn't a weird guy who thought it was important that the oceans were free of feet. You know, he actually had a purpose to his rule. He wanted us to have a great time, and he didn't want us to get hurt. You know, often God's commands, they aren't ends in themselves. They're not pointless things. They're instructions which point beyond themselves, which point beyond themselves to something far more than mere morality. God's commands, they aren't about morality, they're about intimacy. They're meant to help us draw close to God because he is holy and help us to become holy so that we might come close to him and be more like him. See, holiness is far more than just mere morality. We know that because there's things in the Bible that are described as holy who have no way of being well-behaved. During Leviticus, a table is described as holy. Have you ever seen in your life a well-behaved table? Have you ever seen a badly-behaved table? It's things which can't behave themselves. And yet there's people who appear to behave themselves who aren't described as holy. It seems you can behave yourself and live a good life and be nowhere near holiness. And you cannot even have the capacity to behave yourself, and yet you can be holy. Why? Because holy means to be set apart in the sense of being holy and completely devoted to God. 
When God calls you to be holy, he's saying, be holy mine. Be completely mine. And the Holy Spirit wants to grow us in holiness. He wants to grow us in his fruit, in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in gentleness, and self-control. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit helps you to grow in holiness and to grow in holiness is he empowers you to do it. You have no hope, no hope of becoming holy just by your own efforts and by your own attempts. You know, sometimes we think, well, if I just try a bit harder, if I just grit my teeth a bit more, if I'm just a bit more disciplined, if I just keep out of trouble a bit more, then I might be holy. Good luck with that. It's not going to work. You've got no hope. And my experience, most of the people who spin out of the church and get, get really miserable in life is because they've tried to become holy by their own efforts. Got fed up, got into a dead end, and walked away. It's impossible to become holy through your own efforts. It's the Spirit who empowers us to be changed, to be transformed. But at the same time, you have a part to play. You know, it's not going to work. And sometimes we feel this way. We say, oh, it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. It's his responsibility. You know, been a Christian for two years. Holy Spirit, let's give you a little performance appraisal. How are you doing in my life so far? You know, um, have you made me uh, more patient? No, don't think you have, have you? No, okay. Have you made me kinder? No, no, don't think you have yet. You haven't been doing a very good job, Holy Spirit. You know, I've, I've gone forward for prayer. I've asked you to help me. You haven't done it. You cannot blame the Holy Spirit. It's not just his responsibility. But he will empower you and change you and change your desires and give you a fresh hunger to be holy. It doesn't happen by accident. You have a part to play. And that might mean you have to drop something in your life. Maybe you've picked up a bad habit. Maybe it's crept in. Maybe there's a way you've been spending your time recently. and You just need to drop it. To be really honest with you, I, um, I've been struggling. I was struggling to read my Bible in the morning. I had this really great routine. And then we moved. I was finding it really hard. I tried about eight different ways of reading my Bible in the morning. I just kept struggling and struggling and struggling. And then I found this really great way of doing it, which I love, which is I, I use my Bible app, and then I read a chapter a day. And then I, I WhatsApp my friend, who's also reading the same chapter, and we kind of compare notes on what we found really powerful. made such a difference in my life over the last year. But what I found is because I'm now reading the Bible on my phone every morning, what I'm doing is I'm kind of turning on my phone and I'm thinking, well, I will go to my Bible app, but first I might just check my emails, text messages, just see who's texting me on WhatsApp. Oh, Instagram's there. Be rude not to. And then you're kind of, and you're away. And then I'm away. And then like after 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was going to read my Bible. Let's go back and scroll. I felt God say to me this week, why do you say good morning to your phone before you say good morning to me? felt the Holy Spirit just say, why, why do you do that? So I'm going to have to try something different. I'm going to have to bring this out again. My paper Bible, scripture before screens, that's my new motto. So this morning, I didn't even turn on my phone. I read it in my Bible, and then I turned on my phone to send the message. That's my new, might seem like such a small, ridiculous thing. You can look at it and think, that's weird, Stephen. It is weird, but it's what I need right now. Sometimes you've got to drop something. Sometimes you've got to pick something up. 
And for me, often that's been taking some time first thing in the morning and asking the Holy Spirit who inspired the words of Scripture to be written to take them and impress them on my heart. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And the second thing we see in this passage is that the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. Jesus is praying for his uh, followers for the time when he will leave them. He's going to die on the cross for our sins. He's going to rise from the dead so that we might too rise. He's going to ascend to his Father in heaven. He's going to leave them. And he wants his disciples to know and understand that he's not going to leave them on their own. Jesus promises them another counselor, another of the same kind as Jesus to help them. Jesus is going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget being on an Alpha weekend. I love Alpha days, Alpha weekend. We had an Alpha day here last Saturday. So exciting to see people encountering the Holy Spirit for the first time in their lives. See how the Holy Spirit brings this kind of gentle peace and freedom to people's lives. I was on this Alpha weekend having a great time. And then a group of people new to church... They'd only been in church for about seven weeks, been on Alpha for about seven weeks, new to Jesus, new to church, new to the whole thing, new to the Holy Spirit. They kind of came up to me on the Saturday night, just as I was going to the bar, just to get a drink, you know, all the work is done. And they said, Stephen, can we just grab you a second? We've got a question. I said, okay, that's fine. What's your question? They said, well, we need to warn you, it's a theological question. And I was thinking, I've got a couple of theological degrees. I'm not, I'm not worried about this, you know. I, okay, far away. And they said, okay, okay, well, we're just trying to work this out. We're not sure if we've got it right. And I said, okay, what's the question? And they said, if Jesus leaves, he's not here. I was like, yeah. And they said, he sends the Holy Spirit instead. I was like, yeah. And they said, but when the Holy Spirit is in us, we say Jesus is in us. And I was like, yeah. And they said, why is that? And I was like, that's a really good question. You know, I was very tempted to look at this passage here and said then uh, the spirit of truth whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things so ask him you know I... <laughs> but it's a great question it's a really great question it's at the heart of this passage because Jesus says I'll leave and ask the spirit of truth to come and you're like I've got it Jesus leaves the spirit comes but then Jesus says I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you you're like huh So Jesus leaves, but he comes. So Jesus is not so identical with the Spirit that Jesus hasn't left to be with the Father. But Jesus is so one with the Spirit that when the Spirit comes, Jesus comes. We're very close to the beautiful mystery at the very heart of who God is, that God is one God in three persons. And I used to think that was a confusing, awkward stumbling block. And now I see it as the most beautiful, the most relevant, the most exciting truth about faith. At the heart of God is a relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are invited into that relationship. And the promise Jesus makes here is that we will come and make our home in them, in you. That the Spirit comes and through the Spirit, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit make their home in you. I mean, where do you think God lives? Have you ever pondered that? Rome? Jerusalem? Mauritius? Maybe here in church? You can stop by every Sunday and say, hi, how's it going? Long time no see. The promise here is that the Spirit of God makes his home in you. We moved home about a year ago, and we love our home. We love everything about it. Just happens to be at the intersection of two quite uh, busy streets. 
One street where there's quite a lot of fights, and one street where there's quite a lot of drunk people who come back from nights out. It's really exciting. One night, um, a lot of people were kind of uh, quite drunk at 2 a.m. So Beth kind of leaned out the window and said, so sorry, um, our kids are just asleep upstairs. Are you a mum? Yes, I'm a mum. Well done. The world needs more mums. Yeah, if you could just quiet down a little bit. We're so, such a great job to be a mum. Such a great job. I love my mum. Well done for being a mum. We're like, thanks so much. Just a bit quieter. And then another week, um, just as she was getting the kids, there was this enormous fight that broke out just right outside our front door. And they were kind of went on and on, and people were screaming and shouting and pulling each other and punching and kicking, all this kind of stuff. Beth was trying to shield our, like, three young girls from this fight. And, uh, and she thought she'd done quite a good job of shielding them. And then as we got into the house, Amy said, uh, they knew a lot of karate. And, uh, <laughs> and then Becca said, they knew all the swear words. <laughs> now, we love where we live, but there's some bits about it that are exciting and some bits that are sometimes a little bit tricky, but it's our home. It's where we've decided to live. We're going to love every inch of it. We're not going to shy away from the difficult bits. We're not going to pretend it's more amazing than it is. We're not going to pretend it's worse than it is. It's our home. The Holy Spirit has made his home in you. He's made his dwelling in you. The spirit who brooded over the waters at the creation of the universe, who sustains all life, who renews and restores, who's resurrecting every inch of this universe, lives in you, has made his dwelling in you. And that changes things in a major way. When I got to the end of my first year here in Oxford as a student, I was if I'm honest, I was at the end of myself. And outwardly, everything looked like it was going amazingly well. I had so many friends. I'd had a year of just the most amazing parties and fun and excitement. Every, everything I'd dreamt for had happened. It would just been a wonderful year of excitement and fun. Outwardly, it just looked like success and joy. Yet in so many ways, at the end of that year, I felt completely empty. I felt like I was failing every week, almost every day. Like I wanted to get close to God, but I didn't really know how. And every time I took a step forward, it felt like I took 10 steps backwards. It felt like I messed up in so many different ways all the time. My heart started to grow harder and harder and harder. I started to get really irritated with Christians, fed up with them, fed up with the church. I felt numb and cynical and just was messing up in all sorts of plays and places and drifting slowly but surely away from God. Now, my friend Susie phoned me up and she said, look, I'm taking these 50 youth from our estate uh, where we grew up in Luton, um, to this festival this summer. Won't you come with me? They're quite a difficult crowd. Could you come with me, help me out? It's like, Susie, it's not really what I want to do with my summer, thanks so much. And she said, no, but I really need your help. I really need your help with some really difficult lads in the group. They're, none of them have ever been to church. They're quite a difficult crew on the fringes of criminality. I just need your help. And I said, Susie, you don't need my help. My life's a mess. I'm not the person you need. She said, Steve, you're coming. So I went. <laughs> First day, we had to confiscate seven baseball bats. It's a lot of baseball bats to take to a Christian festival. <laughs> the second day, 
At 3 a.m., I woke up in the middle of the night to realize that our youth group was pushing a skip on wheels like a chariot through the, through the whole festival and just knocking tents out of the way. On the third day, I realized they'd worked out that you could climb to the top of these giant marquees and slide down the sides and jump off into the fields like, like you're on a helter-skelter. It's crazy. They were like being chased by security non-stop all over the place. They'd also started pretending that they'd lost contact lenses in the middle of fields and just kind of going around like this. And then some nice Christian would come up to them and say, you okay, I've lost my contact lens. Oh, I'll help. And then, of course, if one Christian helps, all the Christians help. And so you'd have hundreds doing like a forensic search on grass. And the original guy, one of our youth, would just get up and go, and just walk away. Hours they'd be there. Wait, it's a contact. We've lost a contact lens. And then on the fourth day, on the fourth day, I was filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that has transformed my entire life. In a whole new way, I realized the truth of this passage, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has come to live within me most significant thing, perhaps, in my whole life. He'd chosen to dwell, to live in me. I was filled with awe. I was filled with wonder. I realized for the first time that my body wasn't just a random collection of molecules and atoms and DNA. I was the place the Holy Spirit had chosen to dwell. I was the temple of the Holy Spirit. It mattered what I did with my body now. It mattered what I put into my body now. It mattered where I went and what I did in a whole new way. I wasn't just a random person who could waste his life. I was where the Holy Spirit had chosen to live. Where the Lord of all had come to dwell. My life wasn't just about doing whatever I wanted anymore. What I desired because I'd been bought at a price. And it was like the Holy Spirit burnt off parts of me that weren't good and needed to go. It was like in about the space of about six weeks, he completely rewired my heart. Things that I'd wanted to do that I hadn't been able to do before, I suddenly found it quite easy to do. Things I'd wanted to stop doing but I hadn't been able to stop doing before, I suddenly felt able to stop doing. I hadn't changed, but he had changed me. You know, there used to be a huge complex system of regulations and, and procedures and careful acts that enabled one person on one day of the year to enter into the Holy of Holies and draw into the very presence of God. And they did so with fear and with trembling because they realized what an awesome thing that was. It's through the Holy Spirit. The Holy of Holies has entered you. You're the temple. That means the Holy Spirit knows you from the inside out. Every bit of you, everything you've been through, all that you're proud of, all that you're ashamed of, all that you're going through, your hopes and your fears, your dreams and your disappointments, your wins and your losses, your trophies and your scars, and sometimes they're the same thing. The Spirit of God is on the inside of you. You don't leave God at church. Good luck with that. You can't do it. 
He's with you. He's with you at home. He's with you at work. He's with you when you have a difficult meeting. He's with you when you lose your temper. He's with you when you get into a difficult conversation and you can't work it out. He's with you when you're sitting in your own feeling disappointed and wondering how it all ended up this way. He's closer to you than your own skin and he knows you better than you know yourself. And he is not moving out. He's in you. That doesn't mean you're cut off from the world. Because he's shaping you to be like Jesus. Jesus, who was utterly set apart, devoted, holy, and yet completely and utterly immersed in the world. Jesus, who spent his time with the least, the last, and lost. Jesus, who spent his time with people who should have been his enemies. Jesus, who spent his time with most people would have thought was unclean or unholy. Because he wasn't worried about their unholiness contaminating him. He knew that his holiness was on the march and was going to invade every corner of this world. Just think what could happen. The most powerful influence in the world is the serene beauty of a holy life. But think about a holy life that's empowered, enabled, transformed by the Spirit of God.